Paul, as you remember, this is the apostle, uh, often would, uh, down the road, he would be referred to, really, starting in the second, third centuries, uh, he'd be referred to as St. Paul. And uh, Paul means uh, little. And uh, his Jewish name was Saul. And he was a big guy as far as reputation. He was uh, very uh, into himself, very esteemed by his colleagues uh, and by all the Jewish people because he was a Pharisee. And when God humbled him and made him little, uh, he changed his name or went by the name Paul. So Paul and Timotheus, that's Timothy. That's a Latinized version of a Greek word. It's just Timothy. The servants of Jesus Christ now here, his, here who he's writing to, he's writing to all the saints in Christ Jesus which are at Philippi. Now we looked at Philippi last week. Today we're going to look at this idea of all the saints. Who on earth is Paul writing to? Now again, based on what your preconception of a saint is, you may be very biased and very unable to grasp this concept. If you think that a saint is only someone who has lived an extremely godly life and then died uh, and then somehow took on the ability to hear petitions and then were able to perform miracles after you died so that you were canonized, um, then you would, this wouldn't make sense. Paul is writing to all the saints in Christ Jesus, he's obviously writing to people that are alive. So what is a saint? Well, let's talk about the word. In the English, we see the word saint. Uh, it comes from the Greek word hagios, which um, can be interpreted as holy or sanctified. And the word saint, the English word saint, comes from the Greek word sanctus, uh, Greek uh, especially when our English translation was being translated, Greek was a big deal. It was a huge, you know, it was, it was a predominant language. English was starting to, you know, supersede it. Uh, but we get a lot of our English words from that Greek word where we get the word saint. Uh, sanctuary, sanctify. These are all the same root Hebrew word, hagios, which simply means holy. So think of it, the word saint literally is from the Greek word for holy. And that word, uh, the, the Greek word hagios, appears 229 times in the orig original Greek New Testament. It is translated 60 times as the word saint in our King James Bible, 60 times. Uh, the word holy or saint. And um, so what we want to do is we want to set aside our preconceptions, and we want to want to say, okay, what is this thing called saints? I want to read from two sources here that really summarize what a saint is in the New Testament context. First, uh, one writer who wrote a book called Run With Horses made this observation about the word saint and saints. For a long time, all Christians called each other saints. They were all saints, regardless of how well or how badly they lived, or how experienced or inexperienced they were. The word saint did not refer to the quality or virtue of their acts, 
but to the kind of life to which they had been chosen. Now here's what's important. If you are like me, when I first became a born-again believer, I had a preconception about what a saint was. And it became very confusing when I started reading my Bible that this word saint was so bandied about. Like, what I knew is, you know, there weren't many people that were considered saints. And again, none of them were alive. And they were, they were like people that when they did live, they lived such an extraordinary life of pure holiness that we could only hope to live up to them. And, and it wasn't a term that it was very confusing for me. Why is everybody called saints here? And, and it, it, again, let me read this again. It's a really good uh, description here. For a long time, in the first century and onwards, Christians called each other saints. They were all saints, regardless of how well or badly they lived, or how experienced or inexperienced they were. The word saint did not refer to the quality or virtue of their acts, but to the kind of life which they had been chosen to. Here's another. This is uh, the International Standard, Standard Bible Encyclopedia about that word that's translated saint. It is necessary for the ordinary reader constantly to guard against the idea that New Testament saintship was in any way a result of personal character and consequently that it implied approval of moral attainment already made. See, if you were like me, when you think of the word saint, you're not thinking of just every average, any day Christian. You're thinking of, whoa, really super godly. And in fact, you, you may have even used the phrase, that guy's a saint. Meaning, whew, they have, you know, they're, they're living above, they're, they're a little holier than everyone else. And the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia says, you've got to work hard to, to stop thinking that way. And it goes on. Let me read again. It is necessary for the ordinary reader constantly to guard against the idea that New Testament saintship was in any way a result of personal character and consequently that it implied approval of moral attainment already made. Now here's a good thing. You common, everyday, lowly people like me, guess what? We can be called saint. Can you believe that? We can. In fact, once you find out what it means, you can call one another saint. Saint Noreen. Saint, saint Moai. Saint Ed. You know, I mean, think about that. Just common everyday folks. See, now, it's hard if you've got this idea that to be a saint means... Woo, you live super extraordinary. You were holy. It's like maybe you didn't even sin. By the way, nobody fits that category except for Jesus Christ. They go on. Such a rendering as consecrated ones. See, they're taking this idea that, you know what, saint has been so changed that when you think of what a saint is, just think of consecrated one. Because the word saint, the word hagias, the word holy, literally means Someone set apart. That's all it means. And that's what a saint is. It is someone that has been set apart by God. Now, if you are, a, if you are born again, you 
have been set apart by God. And it, it, whether you're a brand new Christian or whether you're a mature Christian, wherever you are along the spectrum of you know struggling saint, a sinner with imperfections, if you have been saved by faith alone, then you have become a consecrated one. Let me read again. He goes on. To be a saint, and this is the point that the original guy made, to be a saint is not directly and primarily to be good, but to be set apart by God as his own. Yet, the godly and holy character ought inevitably and immediately to result. Here's the point. The Bible says this. And here's a phrase we're going to look at in a few minutes. In Christ. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. You see, something happens when you become a saint. And it's not your doing. The Bible says in... Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6, being confident of this very thing, we're going to get to this in our, in our series here, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you, he's talking to saints, people that have been saved, people that have been born again, he that hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Christ Jesus. You know what that means? When God takes you and saves you, and puts you in Christ, you officially qualify as a saint. doesn't mean you're perfect. But it, be, it means that God is beginning to work on you. Remember, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. The idea of that, it's written in such a tense that it is an ongoing process. When you get saved, you don't become super Christian overnight. When, the, the moment... Two minutes after you got saved, you, were, you, you had all the baggage that you had before that. In fact, a couple of years after. But see, God began to work in you, and He's growing you slowly. And that's going to happen until we get to heaven. And by the way, and that's when, that's when it's finished. We will be like Him because we will see Him as He is. It's called our glorification. And that's when we will, that's when we really only will Truly live up to the name, saint, holy. In the meantime, we're a work in progress. Remember that. Every saint you meet, don't, don't think they're not saints because they're so imperfect. Because we are all a work in progress. So, who are called saints? Well, let's jump in here. I mentioned Philippians chapter 1. Turn to Philippians chapter 4. I'm going to give you a sneak preview of the end of this epistle. Remember chapter 1, verse 1, he is writing to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi. Well, now in Philippians chapter 4, and verse 21, he's closing his letter. Remember, an epistle is just a letter. That's all it is. And he says this in verse 21 and 22. Salute every saint in Christ Jesus. Notice this idea. Saint. In Christ Jesus. Salute. He's saying, hey, tell them we said hi. Gracias. Tell them we, you know, we were giving our best. The brethren. 
which are with me greet you. See, you know, notice the term brethren. He's talking about the same kind of people. The saints that are with him are saluting the saints that are with them. And the saints that are with them, the brethren that are with them, are saluting the brethren that are with him. Verse 22. All the saints salute you, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. So folks, we're talking about living people. We're talking about the church. Remember this letter, Philippians, was written to all the saints. He's writing to brethren, to believers, to Christians. The term is synonymous. So again, if you have become a Bible-believing, a genuine Christian, you are a saint. Now, how is it used in the New Testament? Listen to some of it, and you don't need to turn here. Because in, in, in the letters that are written in the New Testament, Romans, Galatians, Timothy, and all that, you see this word, saint, used. Categorically referring to Christians. I'm just going to read through a bunch of them. Romans chapter 1, it's also an epistle that Paul wrote. And he says, verse 7, To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. So he's not writing to everyone that's in Rome. He's writing to every Christian that is in Rome. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul writes, verse 2, Unto the church of God which is at Corinth, so he's writing to the church of God, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place, Call upon the name of the Lord Jesus our Lord. Or the to call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. He's identifying. Think of this again. Who's he talking to? He's talking to saints. He's talking to brethren. He's talking to all them who have called upon the Lord. By the way, I hope that's you. Have you called upon the Lord? Have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation? You've received Christ. You've believed on Him Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath, has everlasting life. Just like that. And shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Just like that. Long before you get to clean up your act. Or rather, long before God starts cleaning up your act, you are saved. You are sanctified. You're called to be a saint. This is this. Now I know some of you. You grew up in in a Bible believing church. You know what the Bible says, and it's like, oh, 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 I've heard this all before. Okay, sorry, but to some of us, this is this is eye opening. I get to be called a saint. This is like pretty cool, you know. Again, if you grew up where saints are saints are a big deal. I mean, I used to pray to saints which, by the way, is not biblical. But I am now realizing I'm a saint. And by the way, that does not refer to how holy I am. Remember that. Nor does it refer to how holy you are. Aren't you glad? John, go ahead, quick question. Paul, do you think he considered himself one of those saints that the first idea you brought up? No, no. Paul was, he was, in fact, remember, he became Paul, little one, 
because he was the chief sinner who wasn't worthy to be called even an apostle. So what a blessing. So listen to some more here. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. First we read 1 Corinthians 1. 2 Corinthians, which is the second epistle. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, under the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints which are in all Achaia. He's using the word church. By the way, the word church is a translation from two Greek words, which means to be called out. So when you, are, when you get saved, God has called you out of the world and placed you into Christ. And it's synonymous with, so you're either, if you're part of the church, you are a saint. And by the way, I didn't say, if you are a member of Bible Baptist Church, you are a saint. Or if you are a member of this church or that church, that you're a saint. Yeah, you can be a member of Bible Baptist Church and not be a genuine believer in Jesus Christ. You must be born again, Jesus said. Ephesians, another epistle to a group of people. Chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Jesus Christ. So people that are walking with the Lord. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 2. Paul says, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae. Now, let's talk about how the word saint is used. Let me give you, and I'm going to go to the dictionary, how this word has been used down through the ages. The first definition of saints is defined by the Oxford English Dictionary as the ecclesiastical definition. This is the one I was brought up on, and maybe some of you were brought up on. A saint is this. One of those persons who are formally recognized by the church as having by their exceptional holiness of life attained an exalted station in heaven and as being entitled in an eminent degree to the veneration of the faithful, a canonized person. In pre-Reformation use, the term implies that the person so designated may be lawfully addressed in prayer for their intercession with God and that miracles have been wrought through their aid after death. Key thing, want to be a saint? You have to have lived a, a beautiful life, so you got to get some people that really didn't know you too well, right? And then you die, and then, then you have to perform miracles to people that have prayed to you, which, of course, the Bible never teaches that we are to pray to the dead. There's only one mediator. By the way, I looked that up because I thought, how did they get around that? And they, they, they use scriptures. You know, everybody tries to use the scriptures, but they don't exegete it. They exegete it. They read into it. And here was their defense. Luke 16, the rich man died and in hell lifted up his eyes and he began to talk to Abraham. So you want proof that somebody talks to dead people? The rich man talked to Abraham. Folks, that is an abuse of Scripture. One more. Um, secondly, the, when Peter healed, remember Tabitha? No, Tabitha? Yes. I think that was her name. Mm-hmm. Yes, Tabitha died. And in Acts chapter 9 and verse 40, Peter talked to Tabitha and said, Tabitha, arise. So he's talking to a dead person. Folks, this is an example we have to be so careful when people are telling you these things. That's not teaching that we are to pray to dead people. 
whether they were saints or not. There's, there really is only one mediator between God and men. But I'm telling you, people get so brainwashed that they can't think around that. So please try and set aside your preconceived ideas and just just glean what you can from the authority of the Bible and nothing else. So... There's a saying. By the way, now, now, so as the years go on, certain people are, are canonized, and after their death, they became saints. And so now we have a lot of places that are named after saints. St. Augustine in Florida, San Antonio, St. Ant- in Texas, St. Louis, Missouri. These are all named after saints. St. Paul, Minnesota, St. Ann, Illinois. These are all named after people that man have elevated to a place that God did not elevate them. Remember... Being a saint isn't being elevated, it's being saved. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Somebody said this, to live above with the saints we love, that will be glory. Mm -hmm. To live below with the saints we know, that's quite a different story. (laughs) Amen to that. I want to remind you what what Charles Spurgeon said, a quote that I love, but it's it's good to insert here. Uh, And and this quote, is, is a kind of a smack in the face for us to when we start thinking too highly of ourselves. Like maybe we, you know, you did your devotions three weeks in a row and you're feeling pretty spiritual so that you might be tempted to start looking down at other Christians. Here's what Spurgeon said. Brother or sister, if any man thinks ill of you, do not be angry with him, for you are worse than he thinks you to be. Now some people will, as soon as that, I'm offended. Why? Are you perfect? He says, if he charges you falsely on some point, yet be satisfied. For if he knew you better, he might change the accusation and you would be no gainer by the correction. If you have your moral portrait painted and it is ugly, be satisfied. For it only needs a few blacker touches and it would be still nearer the truth. I appreciate that because that is a humble perspective on what saints are. Sinners saved by grace. John Newton, the famous pastor, former slave owner and um, writer of Amazing Grace made this statement. He said, I am not what I might be. He said this after he got saved. He said, I am not what I might be. I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I wish to be. I am not what I hope to be. But I thank God I am not what I once was. And I can say with the great apostle, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Would you say amen to that? You're all a bunch of sinners and saints. If you're born again, you're still a sinner. But you have been set apart by God. So let's let's close with this. How do you become a saint? And go back to, um, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. How do you become a saint? And it goes back to this phrase. This is the difference. There are people that are positionally in the scriptures declared as being, quote unquote, in Christ. And then there are other people, positionally speaking, who are not in Christ. Rather, they are, quote unquote, in Adam. Adam 
was a type of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was the prototype. Look at 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 20. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. Remember the word sleep to the believer? Started with Lazarus. Jesus said, when Lazarus died, Jesus said, Lazarus sleeps. Mm -hmm. And the disciples were like, oh, great. Well, you know, we don't need to go wake him up right now. And he eventually had to tell him, no, what I'm saying is Lazarus is dead. But for the believer, the follower of Jesus Christ, when you die, we're just sleeping. We are asleep. And look what it says. Um, Verse 21, for since by man came death, that's Adam, By man came also the resurrection of the dead. Verse 22, for as in Adam all die. By the way, when you and I are born, we are all born in Adam. That's our, we are declared, we are born in sin. Bible says in Romans, wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. When you came out of your mommy's womb, you were in Adam. And that's why you desperately need to be born again. You need to be taken out of being an Adam and put in Christ. And the day you got saved, the day you repented of your sins and believed on the Lord, that happened. God did that. Again, verse 22. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are at um, they are at Christ that is coming. I quoted Romans 5.12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And then he, uh, verse 14, he says, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. So we have the type and the antitype. When Adam came... We were all born in Adam. We're sinners. We inherited his sin nature. You were born a sinner. And that's why Jesus said you need to be born again. And when you got born again, you were taken out of being an Adam, part of you were called out, the church, and placed in Christ. So if there's been that time when you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, when you got saved, you are now officially in Christ. What a blessing. Paul would write, in fact, 1 Corinthians 15.45, So it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last, Adam, was made a quickening spirit. That's the idea where I get the type and the anti-type. Adam was the type. Jesus was the fulfillment. We were born in Adam. We need to be born again in Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 18. says, they, Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished, if, if the gospel is not true. See, here's what you want. You want to die a saint. You don't want to wait till after you're dead to become a saint, because then it's too late, according to the Bible. You become a saint while you're alive, and again, it has nothing to do with trying to live up to a standard It's allowing Christ's perfect life to be your substitute. And when you got saved, you became a saint. And so now when you die, you will die in Christ. 
So you know what? It doesn't matter where you are on your growing maturity level. Here's the amazing thing. You could get saved on your deathbed. Like five minutes before you breathe your last breath. And you could have lived a debauched life, a wicked life. And you're on your deathbed. And you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You are dying in Christ. Whether you're on a deathbed or hanging on a cross next to Jesus. Didn't have a chance to get down off that cross and reform your life. You're dying because of your, your sins, your, your, your crimes. And what did Jesus say to that man? Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. What an amazing thing. So please, do not leave this world before being in Christ. I close with this. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11. I want to close with this because here's the amazing thing. When you read through the New Testament, I mean, this letter that Paul wrote was written to a bunch of living people called saints at Philippi. They were the ones that got saved. That would include Lydia. That would include the the girl that had the possession. That would include the Philippian jailer and a whole bunch more. By the way, it is estimated that when Paul went to Philippi in 49 AD in Acts chapter 16 and preached the gospel, that there were about 10,000 people living in Philippi. 20% of them were slaves. And so when he went there, uh, those people that got saved, and he was there for something, it doesn't tell us exactly when. Remember that girl that followed him? She followed him many days. So he was there for a little while. And when he was preaching the gospel, people got saved. And the moment they got saved, they became saints. Now we are told, we are not told rather, that we need to pray to saints. You cannot pray to a deceased human being unless he rose from the dead. You cannot pray to Mary. And Mary was a very godly woman. Sinner, she needed a Savior. In fact, if you've heard of the Magnificat, there she is calling out to God her Savior. She needed a Savior, just like we need a Savior. But here's the thing. Nowhere in the Bible are we instructed to pray to someone that is deceased. There is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. He's the only one. But there is a place that the dead saints have in your life. Here's the picture. This is amazing. I mean, think of all the people that that we don't even know that Paul wrote to, that lived in Philippi. Now, by the way, he was not writing to all 10,000 people. He was only writing to those that had become born again of those 10,000 people. They were the saints. And they've all passed away. Every one of them. Just like Paul has passed away. But I want you to look now at Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. No, I'm sorry. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. No, wait a minute. Hebrews chapter 12. Because Hebrews 11 gives to us what's called the hall of faith. It's just a list after list after list of believers or saints that had died in faith. 
you know, some of them were, were martyred. They all walked by faith. They all accomplished great things. And now Paul says this, or the writer of Hebrews says this, in Hebrews 12 and verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. What, what's he talking about? He's talking about all those that have gone before us. And it's, it's, you know, all the people, that would include the Philippians that Paul was writing to. That would include Paul and Peter and James and John. Seeing we are, we are, we've got this, this great cloud of witnesses. Seeing that, let us lay aside every weight and sin which does so easily beset us. And let us run with patience that a race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. This is a picture, folks, of the old-time sporting events, athletic competitions, where you had the people that were running the race. That's us that are alive. And that's here, it's the believers that were the writer of Hebrews was writing to. And he was talking about all those that had gone before them, that they are this great cloud of witnesses, and I want you to picture them cheering us on, not waiting for us to pray for them, but they are up in heaven cheering us on. They're the great, seeing we have this great cloud of witnesses. It's talking about the lives they lived. They lived. Think about this. I have learned to love history. I used to hate, hate, hate history. Because in high school, remember I told you, I got the, or this was in the Bible study, I got the revised version of American history where it was nothing but bore and bland and memorizing names and dates that meant nothing to me. But now when I got saved and I, I read church history and I read of people in history that were Christians, that, that did great things for God, that struggled just like I struggled, that, that, you know, that I love reading missionary biographies. These were all people that went before us. They know your pains. They know your suffering. Now, we're never challenged to pray to them. But the picture is that it's like they're cheering us on, folks. And somehow, I think there is maybe a, you know, the great stands in heaven, but there is a great cloud of witnesses that are before us and are, are challenged here to motivate us because we're in our fight right now. And we're challenged to, you know, it's like they're cheering us on. You know, and it tells us, here's one of the glimpses that when a sinner gets converted, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels. Not the angels. Who would rejoice in heaven when someone gets saved? How about all the saints that have died? So somehow, there is maybe a viewing area, but somehow, what happens here when somebody gets saved makes its way up to heaven. So there's rejoicing. I think in some way, folks, they are cheering us on. All the saints that received this letter, you know, when they got this letter, they were like you and I. They're living on this earth and they're struggling. You know, they're trying, they're trying to deal with what they're dealing with. Now they're glorified and they're cheering us on. Don't pray to them, but understand, folks, we have every reason to fight the good fight, to lay hold on eternal life. You have been called to be a saint. You've been set apart. 
not perfected yet, but he which began a good work in you will perform it. Is God at work in you? Have you been saved? Then you are a saint. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Encourage the church today. Encourage your people. Those who have entered into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, that you'd help us uh, to be empowered by that, to be blessed. Uh, Not that, Father, that we would walk worthy as saints should walk, but that that does not determine whether we are called a saint. And so, Father, I pray that you'd help us to press on, to live for you, to be holy, but to also realize, Father, that we don't have our own righteousness. Our righteousness is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so we stand in that, we rejoice in that, and we ask your blessing in Jesus' precious name. Amen.